There is no strife, no prejudice, no national conflict in outer space as yet. Its hazards are hostile to us all. Its conquest deserves the best of all mankind. And its opportunity for peaceful cooperation may never come again. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win, and the others too. For me, this project, this vision, this mission to go into space is confirmation of what I have always known to be true, which is that as a Black, queer, disabled man, I defy gravity every single day of my life by virtue of my existence. I am Darnell Moore, and this is Being Seen. An in-depth exploration of culture's role in resolving the tensions between how we are seen and how we see ourselves. Focused on the gay and queer Black male experience, the first season is a space to explore culture with leading artists, writers, activists, and entertainers. If we create nuanced and accurate cultural portrayals of identity and experience, we have an opportunity to reduce stigma and change perception, impacting everything from HIV to institutional inequity. On September 12, 1962, John F. Kennedy stood before a crowd of 40,000 at Rice University in Texas and announced America's moonshot. Almost exactly two weeks later, a different crowd gathered at the University of Mississippi to protest against the enrollment of James Meredith, a Black Air Force veteran attempting to integrate the all-white school. Thirty years later, on the same day that Alice Walker was born and Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man won the National Book Award, Bernard Harris was the first Black man to walk in space. I imagined that he watched the world spinning below him and the sun rise over and over again about once every 45 minutes. Decades after Bernard Harris, we hope to send another visitor to space, Eddie and Dupu, for a moonshot that is even greater than Kennedy could have imagined. What holds us to the earth, to this life? What gravity pulls against us, making certain necessary things feel like an impossibility? Why is it that some of us have to journey outside of the realm of others' imaginations to find the type of freedom that we should all have access to here on Earth? 
you are currently setting in motion. I'm so excited to talk about this plans to become the first physically disabled person to travel into space. Yeah. To travel into fucking space. Yeah. Right? Like, let's just yeah. talk about this. Yeah. And you've been taught, you've talked about this for some time. You've dreamt it into being, right? Um, it, I'm, it's, I'm certain that it signifies so many things and will signify so many things to others. Yeah. But what does it mean to you? What is the private personal significance of this experience and 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 what role might it play for you and in the lives of others? For me, this project, this vision, this mission to go into space is confirmation of what I have always known to be true, which is that as a Black, queer, disabled man, I defy gravity every single day of my life by virtue of my existence. And what I am seeking to achieve through this mission is to illuminate for the world the ways in which that those of us who live on the margins are so much more magnificent and extraordinary than we think as a global society. And so this is the ultimate attempt to push the boundaries of equality. And and I remember having a conversation with President Barack Obama last year. We were together in San Francisco and I shared this idea with him. And he said that to me, that this is a metaphor. This is symbolic of a much bigger effort to push the boundaries of possibility. And in going to space, it is my deepest hope that we will be able to push for greater equality here on planet Earth for the thousands and millions of eddies whose dreams are never realized because of where they live and because of who they are. And so at at the deepest level, this is confirmation that we defy gravity day in and day out without even realizing it. For the eyes of the world, now look into space, to the moon and to the planets beyond. And we have vowed that we shall not see it governed by a hostile flag of conquest, but by a banner of freedom. And peace, we have vowed that we shall not see space filled with weapons of mass destruction, but with instruments of knowledge and understanding. Yet the vows of this nation can only be fulfilled if we in this nation are first, and therefore we intend to be first. How have we shown up for Black queer disabled folks? Have we cherished them? Have we done all that we can to create spaces within societies that are both physically and emotionally accessible? Decades ago, we sought to bring our instruments of knowledge and understanding to space without first applying them here. Let's change that. You write, I said, I am not just talking about ramps, braille, and sign language. 
This is also about giving people with disabilities access to things like joy, love, and intimacy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is at the heart yeah. of your political work, of your organizing, of your theoretical, your scholarship, of your art making. Um, and it's a call, really, a powerful call to us to reimagine the ways we think about the humanities of, of disabled people. Yeah. In so many ways, we, we have a limited understanding, a limited view of the humanity of disabled people. And I love this idea that there is an obligation to create a broader language of inclusion that also prioritizes emotional access yeah. and beauty. Mm. <laughs> Redefined and fucked mm. up, right? Yeah. Um, just talk a little bit about that, that, that statement, where that came from, and what's at the heart of it. Well... That particular statement is largely informed by my own frustration with the discourse around the inclusion and the rights of disabled people. I've often felt that as a disabled person myself who uses a wheelchair to move through the world, my existence and the existence of my siblings who are disabled, our existence has been boiled down to logistics, right? There is, it it is almost as if um, the language of liberation when it comes to disability begins and ends with a ramp. It begins and ends with Braille. It begins and ends with the bureaucratic administration of our bodies, Right. Mm. When we go out, if at all we go out, with whom, what that would look like. And I recently, that that quotation you, you just read comes from a piece that I recently wrote for Time magazine. And essentially the argumentation is that what makes a space accessible is not a ramp, right? Like it facilitates entry into a particular space, but what makes a space accessible is the empathy, the connection, the freedom, the possibility that that space engenders for people of all identities to come together, right? And so we use words like accessibility, inclusion, diversity, and these words for me feel as though they've been hollowed out mm-hmm. of their true meaning. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and essentially what I try to do with my work is to re-inject these words that have become so ubiquitous and, and quotidian and we're just sort of flinging them around, is to give those words the true emancipatory meaning that underpins them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so accessibility in the context of disability ought to mean more than a ramp. It ought to mean more than Braille. It ought to mean more than sign language. It ought to mean the validation and the celebration of the full and total humanity of disabled people, right? And that means reimagining access beyond the built environment Mm -hmm. um, to things like joy, intimacy, belonging, love. Yes, happiness, right? And and so I think this is really important and I feel that the continued neglect 
of disabled people is precisely because society is unwilling to grapple with the emotional texture of our lives. Well, we meet in an hour of change and challenge, in a decade of hope and fear, in an age of both knowledge and ignorance. The greater our knowledge increases, the greater our ignorance unfolds. Eddie is challenging our collective understanding of how we occupy space in so many ways, through their advocacy and through their multiplicities. Let's talk about the space you occupy. You occupy space at the intersection of of many different identities. You identify as a queer person, a Black person, a disabled person. You're also in South Africa um, Mm -hmm. and you know, have called many places home, right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about the interplay between those between those identities and 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 the role that the, the sort of way you they shape who you are and the role you play in the world. Right. So one of the things I have realized I become pretty good at is compartmentalizing myself, and I think we often do this depending on the spaces that we're in. So we make ourselves palatable or digestible by um, sort of shaving off certain parts of ourselves in order to be understood, right? So there are moments when, you know, I'm just seen as disabled or I'm just seen as Black or I'm just seen as queer. And I think as I become older, I am realizing that I... For, for me to live an authentic and rich life, it is becoming more and more important to me that I validate the complexity of who it is that I am, right? And I think that when we use the word intersectionality, it's come, I think people, when we say intersectionality, people think that that means Identity. Come on and teach the people. Which it doesn't mean that, right? That's that's not what intersectionality is. It's not gluing together identities and experiences, right? And then calling that intersectionality. For me, I think intersectionality is so much deeper than that. It's a worldview and it's a methodology, right? It's a way of understanding the world through the lens of a single human experience that is layered, right, with multiplicity, right? Layered with with the depth. So I'm one person, right? I live in one body. I have one lived experience and it is a simultaneous experience. I am simultaneously disabled, queer, Black, South African, having lived, I'm, I'm all of these things simultaneously, right? And so I think the invitation then is that That is actually so incredibly beautiful. If we are able to really validate the multiplicity of who it is that we are, it means that, you know, we are too big to fathom, right? We cannot be contained. We cannot be reduced. We cannot be compartmentalized, right? Because our worldview is just so expansive and so large, right? It's like, 
a humpback whale cannot be accommodated in an Olympic-sized swimming pool. It needs the whole damn ocean to survive, yes. right? And I need the whole ocean, right? Like, and and that's where I am. It's just like I am not going to allow myself to participate in society's attempts to shrink me, right? You better preach a damn yeah. word. <laughs> Does Let that make you sense? Hump, that you better <laughs> preach a word. And I'm so grateful for your clarification of intersectionality. Um, and let's just give a big shout out to Kimberly Crenshaw. Yeah. Because what Kim is wanting us to consider is not a glued, you know, an, a human person whose identities are glued together. Yeah. It is not, the focus is not identity. The focus is on the compounded systemic inequities that result yeah. from um, the ways we exist in the world as human persons. And and right. depending on how we exist in the world, those inequities are compounded. The focus are on the compounded inequities. But you know what's compounded as well? Mm. Our genius, our magnificence, right? So, so and our compounded geniuses. Yes. Right, exactly. There's the exterior, there's the ways in which we navigate these interlocking systems of oppression. And, and Kimberly Crenshaw gives us that. And I think there's an invitation in her scholarship for us to also acknowledge the ways in which our interior lives are so expansive and compounded, right? That that yes. I would not want to be anything else but a Black, queer, disabled. And I mean the gift and the joy of, yes. of existing and, and, and inhabiting in this body all of these dynamic and kaleidoscopic experiences. I think that is the greatest honor as a human being to be able to embody all of these identities simultaneously. The Things We Carry, a packing list for outer space. You're, you're going to space. Yeah. And what is Eddie taking with them to space? Oh. What's on, what's on your packing list or your a mantra what what are you what's in your metaphorical bag yeah what are you taking with you so i intend taking a bottle of dom perignon champagne <laughs> because i am just so curious i want to be able to run after the bubbles as they're floating, um, as I'm floating. And, and, and so I think that that's just, uh, yeah, I, and I, I want to be able to twerk weightless <laughs> as well. So you need uh, some good music. Right. So we need some good music. So I will probably have what I hope will be an awesome playlist. Um, I'm probably going to look at what you're listening to. Um, <laughs> I'll send you a playlist. <laughs> send me a playlist. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a quote that I really love, and, and it's a quote that is referenced often, but I think its full meaning is yet to be truly appreciated. And it's a quote by Nelson Mandela when he said that um, it always seems impossible until it's done. Mm. And I will certainly be reflecting on that 
and space because so much, again, the idea that we, we, we defy gravity, we transcend the world, right? Not our bodies, right? Society wants us to transcend the tragedy of who it is that we are. But in fact, we look at that and we're like, uh-uh, I'm not, I don't, I don't need to transcend who I am. I need to transcend the world, right? And I'm going to be doing that literally in space. And so that quote by Madiba about that it always seems impossible until it's done will be something that I will be reflecting on. And so in my metaphorical bag, you know, I'd want to put that quote in there next to the bottle of Dom and the playlist that you'll be sending me. In short, our leadership in science and industry, our hopes for peace and security, our obligations to ourselves as well as others, all require us to make this effort to solve these mysteries, to solve them for the good of all men, and to become the world's leading spacefaring nation. We set sail on this new sea because there is new knowledge to be gained and new rights to be won, and they must be won and used for the progress of all people. Are they really such mysteries? That people like Eddie are extraordinary in their blackness, in their queerness, in their disabledness, in their humanness. They are extraordinary not because of what they are born as, but because of the fact of their existences. And we have the responsibility of creating a world that they don't have to transcend in order to find care and love. Someday, in the near future, Eddie will travel to space. They will bring with them a playlist, champagne in the words of a fellow human rights activist and countryman. That moment will be for the world, but it will also be for them alone. Eddie's work is going to outer space. Our work is dismantling bias and stigma so that we can discern the beauty, the power, and the importance of queer Black disabled folks so that when they return, it will be here on this planet. Scene is produced by Harley and Company and Darnell Moore and created in partnership with Vive Healthcare. Theme music is provided by Moses Sumney.